welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I'm joined by my co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. How are you Dilly? I'm very good Nick, how are you? I'm good, I am uh, waiting patiently for you to ask your question that you you get every two weeks. So Dilly, what's the question? So when we have salad here in Germany, people like to have something warm on top of it. What's your favorite salad topping? Favorite salad topping? I'm assuming what you mean by warm would be something like knuspige zwiebel, maybe. Yeah, or uh, panierte uh, calamares. It's like um, squid in breadcrumbs yeah, yeah. or something. Okay. I guess, I mean, the Bavarian in me says knuspige zwiebel. Like, that's always the standard go-to option we talked about russian salads i think a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and my my favorite salad of any salad that you get in germany is the uh like noodle salad from a, a oh, barbecue yes. or something like that mm-hmm. i do love one of those uh, and i don't think they have particularly anything in them i mean i'm a big fan of croutons anything crunchy i think i'd go with anything crunchy at all have you got a particular preference i like oyster mushrooms stir fried that does sound a little bit more mm-hmm. fancy than I was even ready for. Oyster mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you live in you live in rarefied air, don't you? Oyster mushrooms ripped, not cut. And I think this is something that German cuisine does quite well. Mm. They generally do textures quite well. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's a debate about how good they do taste. <laughs> I'm not sure I disagree with some <laughs> of the criticisms of German food, but mm. um, I would say that crispy elements are always appreciated. Very whether much. that's a uh, yeah. whether that's in a in a in a schnitzel, or mm. it's been paneered, or whether that's just in like a your standard kind of Kirschspätzle with a bit of um, crispy onions on top. Knuspergeswiebeln. Um, crunchy, crunchy things are always very good in salads, like uh, strips of schnitzel, for instance. Who? Th- where the hell are you getting strips of schnitzel in your? Where are you getting your salads from? These sound luxurious. Where are you getting your salads? Obviously, the wrong place. You should be stoning these people's buildings. What are the big bakeries we have in Augsburg? We have Ila, Wolf, and oh, there's another one uh, that I know, but those are the two big ones that you see quite often. And they go hardcore for like quinoa and couscous salad type offerings. Uh, nice. There isn't, I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, couscous is by all rights, the most boring ingredient that you can put into any food. I mean, it's fine, but it is incredibly dull. So you like croutons in your pasta salads and you don't like couscous? I wouldn't, have, I mean, no, I wouldn't have croutons in my pasta salad. I feel like I'm being you. misquoted here. But, I mean, now you've said it, I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't dislike couscous. I just find that it's one of those things that is constantly offered as a healthy alternative. And it isn't, isn't that exciting, is it? It depends on how you make it. You can make it with like uh, turmeric and spices and herbs. Toss uh, like fish and chicken through it. It can be quite nice. Ah, and the, the the producer has stepped in at the uh, last second uh, with his offer of, was it pearl couscous? Pearl I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. I feel like I'm being ganged up on here, listener. I feel like I'm standing alone. Me with my Knuspergers Wiebel and my croutons <laughs> in the pasta salad. And I'm, I'm dying on this hill. <laughs> I'm being assailed on all sides. 
quite by the easily. couscous lovers of Germany. Yeah, easily, apparently. I'm going to extricate myself from this rather complicated conversation <laughs> about food preferences and uh, and move, transition smoothly to a, a listener email that we received. Now, listeners, if you were paying attention over the last few months, you will notice that uh, there's been some changes to the podcast. Um, one of the big changes was obviously Simon leaving and Dilly joining uh, the team. Uh, but you'll also have noticed that Dilly's mic has been a little bit ropey to be generous, at least to Dilly's microphone. It's been a little bit ropey for the last few weeks. And then suddenly last week, it was glorious, full-bodied microphone action because Dilly, um, off her own back and with help of, with, from producer Simon, have uh, researched and dis- discovered exactly the correct mic. So I do hope everyone is enjoying it. But... The thing that's instigated this kind of discussion about microphones was a really, it was a lovely email from a listener. Uh, It was from the listener called Arjun. And Arjun reached out and said, hi, Nick and Dilly. I've really been enjoying the new episodes. Thank you for keeping it light and interesting. Oh, we do try. Arjun, we we do do try. Anyway, I've noticed recently that there's a really faint beeping sound when Dilly is speaking. Maybe I'm the only one who who hears it. I assume it's something which is close to Dilly's microphone. And I was like, if that's the only thing you heard on Dilly's microphone, then we must have been doing something incredibly well, Dilly. We must have been so engaging over the last few weeks that no one fully noticed how potato the uh, former microphone was (laughs) and how glorious the new one is. But what I think, Dilly, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, we just want to thank the listeners for sticking by us. Our numbers mm-hmm. have been really the same since Simon decided to move on. And uh, yeah, oh, we do this for the listeners. Um, and the fact that you've stuck by us, kept up the lovely messages and the warm sort of thoughts, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. So thank you. Thank you for that listener. And thank you, Arjun. Um, you want to say anything about your mic, Dilly? On your mic, in fact? I sang into it. I, I liked I liked <laughs> she it. Did <laughs> she did indeed listen. She did sing into the mic. And and maybe one day we'll release that as a bonus a bonus <laughs> bit of content. <laughs> if people vote for it. <laughs> well they've all we've already punished them by hearing me sing, so uh, and that's something that comes about at least once a year. Maybe maybe more. We'll see how it goes. But yeah. So this week is the sort of first week back of for work for me. Mm-hmm. We did the most depressing of tasks at the weekend, which was taking down the Christmas tree and then throwing it on a pile of other dead Christmas trees. And my Christmas tree was very, very dead by the end of the Christmas period. And, and I find that process so depressing. I find, like, the end of Christmas so depressing. Um, oh, no. Yeah, I'd always find, like... The lights all get taken down. The tree gets taken down. Yeah. And and I just find that it's the lack of lights in the darkness that I think I miss. But yeah, do you not find the same thing, Dilly? I think there's there's a point during Christmas when I'm like, okay, this is enough. You know, I mean, the leaves are falling. We have to sweep things up all the time. Um, and and you know, you get tired of all the shiny things in the shops and uh, seeing so many chocolate centers. And you think, okay, you know, it's the middle of January. I don't need to say this till December again. I think it's cathartic to put everything away, tangle up the lights so that you have to untangle them in December. What's life without whimsy, Nick? 
I'm not sure if that's whimsy. I think whimsy's keeping your lights up. I must be honest. I walked home from the uh, Strassenbahn today and most of every house didn't have lights on. But every so often I'd walk past and there'd be a house that had left their lights up. There was even someone who had a glorious Christmas tree in their living room. And I was just like, yeah, fight fight the power. <laughs> you know? <laughs> keep going, keep it up. I'm so I, I'm almost motivated to knock on their door and just go, Gluckwunsch! <laughs> you know? What a fantastic Christmas tree you have. But um, yeah, I, I think it's nice to see the lights up. I, that's the one thing... I think we could all benefit from in January is this. It's a little bit lighter. It's a bit nicer than... We don't necessarily have to have a Christmas tree up, but we've kept the lights up outside our house and I'm keeping mm-hmm. them up until mm-hmm. until a point where I feel that I'm not bummed out by the end of Christmas. <laughs> so, March. <laughs> what about Easter? Um, Easter is the most throwaway of, of Christian holidays, let's be honest. Do you not do anything for Easter? Do you not decorate for Easter? No. I mean, my wife does. She pulls out a lot of wooden rabbits that she's sort of stored in the cupboard and and sort of egg shaped decorations but mm-hmm. i mean i'm not really i don't really take easter particularly seriously i don't even buy easter eggs really maybe if you do you won't miss christmas so much why do i feel like i'm now found myself in a therapy session <laughs> <laughs> no damn it i'm a fundamentalist when it comes to christmas i won't take any other holidays other than christmas i don't know i mean yeah i suppose i could look forward to easter but i mean the two-week holiday is what i'm thinking about i mean most of the time and i don't know if you do this dilly mm-hmm. the semester ends in five weeks so mm-hmm. all i can think of is in a, in a five-week block mm-hmm. and i can't think past that like grenza of five weeks yeah so for me in in my mind and the way my mind works easter doesn't even exist until we get to sort of the uh the, the start of february i can't even comprehend it until we get to the start of february that i can understand i mean i work in a school so i have the winter holidays the winter ferian in february mm-hmm. i won't say i'm not looking forward to it oh god yeah i mean how can you not get excited about holidays right when you yeah. work in academia or in education it's definitely something that you can you can really hold your hat to but um yeah yeah um yeah moving on mm-hmm. i came across a reddit post which i'll put into the show notes uh and it's an image that brought tears to my eyes but did not surprise me particularly and it's uh, a post on uh, someone who ordered uh tea in germany and the post says ordered a tea in germany milk added to hot water tea bag on the side feels like a hate crime and there's an image um of of the mountains and a cup of tea and exactly as described we have milky hot water with a tea bag Mm -hmm. on the side and then there's like a, a saucer on top i guess to keep the heat in and uh it reminded me of all the uh, there was a sort of tea based discussion going on just before christmas uh, sort of online and even in our household because um i constantly complain about my the way my wife makes tea to the point that she stopped making tea anymore um yeah it's bad isn't it i have a real a real problem when it comes to doing that but i also do enjoy all the kind of variants of tea and i do think sometimes uh, british people can be a bit over the top when it comes to how tea's prepared I mean, how do you feel about the whole tea debate? I mean, do you have a preference when it comes to how tea's made? Do you really care? Damn right I do. Oh, that's so what I thought. I was um, too I, fast. I, I, I didn't want to. <laughs> I, 
I couldn't didn't. contain myself, Nick. No, you were so powerful. <laughs> the look on your face, you're like, damn right. Um, please, Dilly, tell me. I mean, did this, this, the image that in the show notes, does that freak you out a bit? or It does. Or does it upset you? It speaks to me. It upsets me. It does to me all sorts of things. Um, once uh, someone made me a cup of tea and did that thing, you know, where they add the hot water, milk, and then add the tea bag to it. Like one part of my South Asian self was like, I should be polite. I shouldn't refuse this. I shouldn't say that this is not how anyone should drink their tea. What have I done to deserve this? And then the other part of my South Asian self was like, I'm not going to drink this. (laughs) We don't drink tea like that. What weak ass tea is this? And which emotion prevailed? I'm guessing it was the politeness. It was the politeness. (laughs) Of course it was. (laughs) (laughs) Did you even say anything? Did you even comment on the tea? I didn't. I never will. And I hope he never listens to this podcast. <laughs> That's how polite I am. <laughs> it was the sweetest gesture. I do get the sense, though, that like British people take a sort of perverse pleasure in how badly other countries do tea. I think they really enjoy it. Like it's the last, it's the last thing that Britain might be vaguely good at is making tea with milk. And so we've got yeah. to sort of celebrate it as much as possible. But there yeah. is like a level of excitement. Whereas the complaint of British people abroad that you can't get a good cup of tea is very similar to the German complaint of you can't get a nice piece of bread anywhere other than Germany. Quite, but When Germans exactly. complain about bread, they're like almost insulted by the quality of bread in other countries. Whereas British people are kind of happy that other countries can't do tea. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's probably something to do with like... I don't know, all other countries being better at cricket and rugby than we are, and football. Some kind of <laughs> superiority to hang on to. <laughs> it's an inferiority superiority complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's um, it could be Schadenfreude, you know, that, you know, they're not drinking good tea, haha. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a bit like that. It could also be that, you know, they're like, okay, so the Germans are drinking weak ass tea, which means they'll go off the drink and we can have all the tea we want. Because we don't have enough money now to import all the tea. You know, with Brexit, you want to save your tea. That's a horrible <laughs> comment. No, but it's, I'll be honest with you, Dilly, it's fucking true. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the thing I was, the, 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 the kind of, uh, I always find interesting is the combinations of tea that you get. They're not just like ginseng or, or kind of... Um, uh, Darjeeling. There's there's some wild combinations of like passion fruit and mint. Um, I've got one that's in fact in my uh, my thermos flask prepared for while we have this conversation, which is a combination of ginger and black pepper, which is frankly amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Wait, is it so black good. tea with ginger and black pepper? Is that what you call tea? Something with black tea? No, no, it's not black tea at all. It's just a herbal tea, but it's got ginger and black pepper and some other things in it and infusion yeah i get i mean this is the thing right when i talk about tea like tea for me in my mind is any hot beverage with a tea bag in it is a cup of tea Mm -hmm. right now i know that's quite a a, a liberal appreciation what's an infusion is that just when you've got one of those little like um metal devices that you put the tea leaves in a a diffuser in fact (laughs) i think that's what it's called I guess that's what I do. I've answered my own question. Anyway, Dilly, that was the end of the section. Thank you. No. Uh, 
pat yourself What's on the, the difference back. Between... Thank yourself, <laughs> No, well done me. Well done me. Look at me go. Um, I'm so good today. I'm on fire. Um, but like, I wouldn't see a difference between that and a cup of tea that I'd have with milk. So, I mean, do you, you appreciate there's a difference between them then? I mean, for me, tea is black tea, all kinds of black tea. And um, mm-hmm. if you're drinking ginger with black pepper, that's what we call a cold remedy. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a good combination, right? I would have yeah. thought a bit of chili would probably be better placed. But do you have any other um, interesting combinations that you might make yourself? Yeah, you know, coriander seeds. I, I have it on my stove right now. You boil mm-hmm. coriander seeds with a couple of peppercorns and a piece of ginger. And then you drink the water mm-hmm. once it's come to a boil. And that Ooh. is also a cold remedy, but I suppose you'd call it tea. Yeah, I mean, I would have said like anything that was brewed would probably be that, that option. I do like, that sounds like a nice combination you've come up with. Is that mm-hmm. a, a, like a, a your own invention or is that a, a family recipe? Oh no, it's passed down to me by my parents who, when they hear I'm sick, always say, drink your kotamali. Can kotamali is uh, coriander in Singhala. Now, there's a British part of my brain that's like, maybe if we just rename it, I can make some money on this. <laughs> maybe I can take this. That's what you did with the tea. <laughs> no, it's pretty much what happens, right? No, I think that's a really nice combination. Mm. Um, is there any combination of tea that you don't enjoy? I used to like wild berry, but I don't like it mm-hmm. anymore. It's like hot syrup. So you don't like sweet tea? I do. I like black. Mm. Okay, my favorite is black tea with milk added to it later you know, like 10 minutes later. And then you know, when it's cooking, you add some ginger to it. And so it's like a ginger black tea. That's really nice with milk. But these are all options you like as opposed to options that you don't like. Yeah, but then, I mean, I don't know anything I don't. Well, I do not like tea where they put the tea bag in the milk. We have that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's reasonable, which I guess is a long way of saying, no, you'll drink any kind of cup of tea going, basically. <laughs> I like my Anyone. mint teas. Let me look. Oh, I have I have Lady Grey. I don't uh, by Twinings. I don't know why it's Lady Grey and Earl Grey. Wasn't Lady Grey like famous for having loads of affairs? I don't know. Maybe I'm getting my history wrong. I know Earl Grey is famous in Newcastle because there's a statue to Earl Grey due to the uh, the Great Reform Act of uh, 1832. I think it was. I see. Uh, they built a statue to him. But I can't drink Earl Grey tea at all because my brother derisively describes. Earl Grey tea is poet's tea, which <laughs> I don't quite know what he means. What's wrong with poets? I don't know, but it does feel, it feels pretentious, I think, is what, is what he's trying to get across. He thinks poetry is pretentious. Possibly. I'm not going to delve too deeply into my brother's uh, opinions on, on, <laughs> on, <laughs> on poetry, um, but I'll ask him next time I see him. Please. Um, finally, though, how do, you, uh, how do you feel about doctors, German doctors especially, recommending tea as a viable, like remedy for for what ails you um is that something that you you advocate because i thought it was a kind of nice a nice refreshing change i mean i think tea is nice it kind of lifts you up but i am a very strong member in the club of we do not like doctors who say have tea when we have uh, bladder infections i put my foot down very strongly there I do get the suspicion that it happens to women more than it happens to men. And maybe that's why I find it a refreshing change. Because no one, most of the time I just say, I have pain. And the doctor says, here, have drugs. And I'm like, okay. And the last time I went to see the doctor, I was like, I've got a bit of a cough. And they said, oh, maybe you should drink some tea. And so I, I guess that was what, uh, 
what was perhaps a little bit different for me. But yeah, I totally understand why you might not enjoy that experience at all. It's the second week of January and everyone's slowly getting back to work, uh, including our illustrious politicians in Berlin. Well, I say in Berlin, a lot of them have gone away on party retreats, which seems to be quite a popular thing to do for not only German politicians, but um, German business types nipping off to a hotel to discuss new ideas. And uh, this is happening most of this week. We've got most of the parties are off doing uh, party-related planning for 2023. But it also gives us a chance to think about some of the fault lines that we might see between coalition partners in the traffic light coalition, the Ample Coalition in Berlin. And I think at the moment, a lot of the agenda is taken up with questions around climate targets. That seems mm -hmm. to be the big one at the moment. And of course, the Greens, headed by their leader, Ricardo Lang, and um, their more famous members, such as Robert Harbeck and Annalena Baerbock, uh, are talking about maybe going a bit stronger when it comes to pushing for climate targets in 2023. One of those being sort of thinking about traffic congestion, thinking about agriculture, and uh, maybe even phasing out of coal by 2030. Mm -hmm. I, I would have I thought these kinds of topics were broadly popular with a lot of people, especially those who who seem to, to be sort of supportive of um, the environment. Um, mm -hmm. But it does seem like it's going to cause a little bit of trouble within the coalition because there's various different ways of thinking that. I mean, you, I'm assuming, and you can tell me, Dilly, that you'd be quite mm -hmm. supportive of, of things like, we've talked about traffic congestion and issues around mm -hmm. traffic, but I'm assuming all of these things are right up your your street when it comes to being a an individual voter yeah there are things i consider very strongly how have people responded to our environmental demands phasing out coal it seems rather hopeful that we are going to phase it out by 2030 mm -hmm. are you smirking no no i'm not smirking i'm agreeing with you because i don't i don't You're, really okay. think it's i don't i'm in the same boat as you i, I kind of feel like we've been talking about phasing out coal forever mm -hmm. and 2030 isn't that far away in in the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of things it isn't it's like we are finally there and almost but on the other hand i think um how i mean we still don't have the 49 euro train ticket or the travel ticket we are nearing the end of the second week of january and um when we said that we really like the nine euro train ticket how the politicians responded to it uh, I mean, being dismissive about it, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth, uh, to be honest. That is, again, a, a coalition discussion. I think they've sort of penciled it in for, for potentially for March or at least early spring that we might see it. But they've even, they even tempered that by saying it could be in the summer that we see this ticket rolled out. Um, and again, that's, that's a lot to do with these d divisions within, I think, the coalition, but also within the different uh, Bundesländer around uh, uh, the different states around Germany. Even even with this environment topic, mm -hmm. you can see the SPD are, are drawing certain lines when it comes to, um, to 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 what they think is the way forward. And a lot of what they're thinking about, um, the sort of focus for them is essentially making sure that we have 
enough energy to to service the country for the for the next year mm. but um this is a thing and again we've talked about the sort of pessimism in germany i was thinking about like hasn't the planning and the execution been broadly successful like we talked about how dangerous it was going to be for energy supplies how worrying mm. it was going to be for people who can't heat their homes and it's not been easy i think for a lot of people mm. but it's been certainly better than what we were told could happen yeah and yeah and i think Definitely. that's that's a positive it is but i don't know about you maybe maybe i'm just too used to british politicians patting themselves on the back for doing fuck all um seeing german politicians <laughs> doing stuff but still not patting themselves on the back is a little bit uh discombobulating maybe <laughs> you know i'm from sri lanka right <laughs> i mean the ex-president is discombobulating from like continent to continent right now so yeah i mean you must look at german politics and be like wow this this totally works (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely how i look at it when i look at britain i'm like bloody hell this this functions much better than i expected nick do you think it's a strategy like we were told that this winter is going to be harsh um have some cash with you have like 300 to 400 euros at home because if um the electricity grids are failing the ATMs won't work and you can't pay with your debit card anywhere because we need electricity for that. So we had to have cash, you know, have your electric blankets, uh, the heating. I, I mean, that's going to be problematic. Do you really think that they just painted a very dire picture knowing it won't be that bad so that they could pat themselves on the back for a job well done? I don't think I'm that, I'm pretty cynical, but I'm not even that cynical, you know. I think it's exactly what we talked about about four weeks ago, which is the propensity for Germans to constantly see the worst case scenario. And I think it was everyone seeing the worst case scenario. And what freaked people out even more was the government wasn't bullshitting people. They were actually saying, oh no, it could be this bad, if not worse. And we need to act now and we need to make decisions. And I think it was that driving force that brought people with them and got to to the the end result but at the same time you have the the population at large feeling that immense negativity and the media feeding that immense negativity that created this feeling that our winter is going to be horrific and horrendous and Mm -hmm. xyz and actually we've had a little bit of luck with the weather not being so cold we've Mm -hmm. had a little bit of sensible planning and we've also had some some quite miraculous sort of changes which is something the spd's been talking about but if did you know that they've they've practically finished that um the gas hub in the north of germany in almost 200 days they've built a liquid gas refinery i think it is so when you transport gas mm-hmm. it's liquefied and then they turn it into into back into a gas Okay. Um, after it's been transported and apparently what's happened is they've just cut loads of red tape to make sure they can get it done as quickly as possible and i think that's really impressive considering we're bitching moan about berlin airport and we're bitching moan yeah. about stuttgart einenswanzig and then when the, the shit hits the fan we'll build a, like a massive important piece of infrastructure that is potentially saving the country from an energy crisis or at least an element of the energy crisis and helping the economy kind of keep on its on its footing and we've done that in just over 200 days so i do think that's kind of impressive but it's not one that seems to be shouted from the rafters particularly maybe good news isn't as popular as bad news in germany (laughs) (laughs) i'm grateful for what it's turned out to be 
I think all we can be is grateful. The other aspect, of course, is something we talked about last week, uh, the shutdown of the atomic plants, the three remaining German nuclear power plants. That seems to be going ahead as scheduled. However, the FDP and their infinite wisdom have decided that they might want to convene a uh, panel of experts to re-examine whether we should shut down the nuclear power plants, which seems a little bit of electioneering um, rather than an actual kind of serious discussion but there is that fault line for sure but even the greens and and the, well the greens and the spd are lined up alongside each other um against the fdp so it might just be a little bit of them saying oh we think differently we're not the same we're a different party it might mm. just be a way of, of of kind of separating themselves from the morass of the coalition um and even so the fdp's focus seems to be a lot on transport and tax because yeah. a tax, again, is going to be another big fault line. There is a discussion of a, a wealth tax, which I think would be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously the FDP against that, Christian Lindner is the head of the FDP as well as the finance minister. So oh, you can Jesus. imagine he's not... <laughs> you know, this coalition, sometimes it's it feels like you have your rifle as a crutch. You, you need the rifle to walk, but then occasionally you also need to shoot yourself in the foot with it that's what this coalition feels like and particularly the fdp it doesn't work in the way that necessarily everybody wants but i like the idea that the rough edges of most parties are shaved off by the fact they have to work together i think that's a benefit and i was thinking about this the other day it's clearly this is by design this is the design of the german politics is to have sort of divided governments to a certain extent or coalition governments it feels like that is the the way that we've reached the kind of the expected level of of political organization in germany but you're right there is a lot of foot, foot shooting going on <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily that using a rifle as a crutch if we're gonna maybe extend this metaphor beyond its very boundaries it's like the person's walking quite happily and then their best mate comes over and chops their leg off. <laughs> I'm your friend. Here's your leg. So uh, maybe that's what's happening. Could be. And uh, the final fault line, which I think is pretty reasonable. And, and actually, I think this is a big shift for the coalition. And this is where we see the coalition makeup shift again to FTP and Greens are now voicing their support for uh, leopard tanks to be delivered to Ukraine. And the, the SPD are lined up on the other side going, hey, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. <laughs> so like you can see that this constellation keeps changing between all the parties. Sometimes they're together. Yeah. Sometimes they're against each other. Some There's one group yeah. over here and then the topic changes and the groups change. So I think ultimately this push to get leopard tanks delivered, it, 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 well, hopefully it will be achieved. But it does seem like the SPD are, are on this front dragging their feet. So... There's, there's a lot of things to look out for in 2023. It's like you have, I mean, basically the government and the opposition <laughs> is within the government, right? Yeah, yeah. so you like have an opponent to a government policy that actually is a sitting member of the cabinet, for instance, yeah. Yeah, and that feels strange. I mean, when I compare it with like Sri Lankan politics. I personally, and having lived in a country where you have single party government, I do feel like you get better results when there is compromise than if you just have the pure-blooded decision-making of, of a single party. Um, sort of tempers uh, the, the, the madder edges of, of, of the party. So I, I'm broadly supportive of it. Mm -hmm.
One of the fun things about living in Germany is the realization that not everyone considers themselves entirely wholly German and nor does the entire nation function as a homogenous group. In a, in a country of 16 different states, there's always going to be a rough bit of tension. And this week, there was a little bit more tension than most between uh, two quite prominent politicians in Germany uh, that we had, I guess, in the I guess it's the black corner, the black and yellow corner for Berlin was the Berlin mayor, Franziska Giffey. And in the blue and white corner of Bavaria was Minister President Marcus Söder. Uh, the instigation for the sort of verbal fisticuffs was uh, observations made by uh, Herr Söder um, with regards to Berlin's nature as a Chaosstadt. Mm -hmm. uh, he described the events over um, New Year, New but Year. also talking about the um, recently uh, null and void election in Berlin as examples of Berlin being a, a city of chaos. He mentioned not only Berlin, which will always uh, raise the hackles, I think, of Bavarians who feel that they're put upon by uh, not only the moors of Berlin, but also perhaps the, the fact that Berlin receives, I believe, more money than any other uh, state in Germany with regards to the sharing of funds, uh, Bavaria being one of the richest states and Berlin being one of the poorest. And they receive, I think it's roughly around 3.9 uh, billion euros from the other states to support their kind of economy and support their infrastructure uh, plans. There was also, I think, a badly veiled, if a totally unveiled comment about transgender toilets as well, mm. which is, again, uh, speaking to Marcus Söder's base. Now, Marcus Söder is, as I've said numerous times, the kind of man who has Trumpian inclinations, and this felt a little bit Trumpian. And Francisca Giffey responded not with the aggressive kind of language and rhetoric that you'd expect from a under fire mayor of a major European city. Instead, she extended an olive branch and offered to invite Herr Soda to come to Berlin and visit a, um, a youth center and see the city and to find out how much of a chaos Stadt Berlin really is. Mm -hmm. What do you make of this, this little, um, I don't know, tete-a-tete, -tete, this little bit of um, handbags at dawn, I think is what we would call it in, in Britain. What do you make of this, Dilly? I'm surprised that anyone who is far away from the state that Söder is in uh, would think, okay, let me breathe the same air as him for a couple of days and have him over. I mean, if, what if he takes her up on it? Had she thought about that? <laughs> I don't know if he will. But yeah, what if he does though, right? What if he does? This is like, oh, you know, you must come around for lunch sometime and when they want to. <laughs> it does feel like one of those invitations that you're kind of hoping the person doesn't go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come along. And like you offer it in the hope that maybe they'll be suitably um, ashamed of, of what they've said, but he might do. You never know. I don't know how this helps Francisca Giffey, particularly, given that she is also facing an election. She's uh, she's not letting the comments pass. She's not ignoring mm -hmm. it. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. if anyone's uh, throwing a few punches at Söder, I, I mean, as you say, the elections are around the corner. Uh, that puts her in a good light. Voters in Berlin must surely appreciate the same kind of approach being sort of fired back. If he's trying to use Berlin as a kind of straw man to show how good his 
government mm. has been yeah it, it kind of it works equally well for her right to yeah. do the same thing if she's facing an election yeah. because he's talking to his voter base now when he makes those mm. comments at her and the city mm-hmm. and uh, she's turning it around i mean it's pretty clever unless he takes it up we're not the US, right? We're not Britain. We're not the polity isn't as shattered and broken as these two other countries. Although mm. a lot of the kind of rhetorical devices and strategies seem to be seeping into Germany. And I know there's a right wing press that would love the idea that Germany is super divided and super um fractured. Mm. And I don't think it necessarily is as much. And I think it would be a nice show of unity. I don't agree with Marcus Söder's politics. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily sort of like him and I certainly won't be voting for him. He hugged a tree once. He hugged a tree. <laughs> I mean, he also dressed up as Shrek, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> say he's worth voting for, right? <laughs> so, who knows? He's he's famous for his his carnival um uh, fashion costumes. But I think it would be a nice way of sort of saying, well, yeah, okay. Like we all know what I was trying to do. Mm. good response yeah, yeah. let's go see like a youth program let's yeah. try and show that we're we're not um i would i would have thought the reason he won't do that is because of that's what it would show it would show there's more unity in in politics than than is useful for him to to engage with i think that's why he probably wouldn't mm. um but I, I i don't know i just think the it's a, a shitty strategy to try and like point at berlin and go oh berlin doesn't function properly berlin doesn't work properly like berlin is a very different place from the rest of germany but then so is bavaria like can't we appreciate the difference and and sort of not try and use any kind of um shit storm as a as fuel for our political agenda but maybe i'm being too optimistic in that in that respect i don't know you you, you certainly seem to believe in the milk of <laughs> human kindness in these politicians <laughs> is isn't he your uh, minister president i mean he's not mine he's not mine he's the minister president of the state i live in but he's not nothing i wouldn't put the uh, possessive my in front of it thank you very much <laughs> um i i take no responsibility would you not touch him with a barge pole i i would i would throw the barge pole at him and then tell him <laughs> to get his shit together but build some more wind farms you massive tool but I do feel like, though, the Bavarians are kind of tainted by association, and I don't like that. Um, the association with a, a kind of hard right of center party in power. But again, I've predicted potential changes, so I can I can hold on to those. I I see you have your hand up, Dilly. I do. Uh, have my question hand from up. the back. <laughs> what have you done with Nick? Who are you? What is it? Is this mean? the tea that you're drinking? Because you seem so full of hope and and sugar and spice and things tonight. Do you know what it is? I fucking believe in Germany. I really believe in Germany. I honestly do. I have a lot of optimism about Germany, and sometimes I feel like I'm the only optimist. I'm not necessarily wholly cynical. I don't believe everybody does everything out of an altruistic reason, but I fucking believe in this country. I think it does a lot of things right, and it really bemuses me that no one ever seems to celebrate the good things about germany and maybe that just goes to show how little i understand about the country i live in but damn it i'll always be a um not a blind supporter of, a of, of germany but i'm certainly 
I, I'm a real believer, man. I really believe. I believe in. I believe in the Grunge set. I believe in the way they organise government. I think it's most politicians aren't massive assholes in the way that they are in the country I was born in. And I think I can see more that connects us than divides us. If that is not too hokey a kind of sentiment. You look like you've 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 only just met me. <laughs> you look like you've never seen me before. Like, is that so? Am I so cynical? Are you Nick's twin? Are you Nick's twin who's just here for the night? You can only get a perception of yourself from feedback from others. So, like, w- am I really that cynical? Is that the perception that I am? Like a Have you had good news <laughs> during the day or something? <laughs> the fuck is this? No, I just, I just, I just had my Weetabix this morning. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh god are you a Weetabix person I'm a Weetabix person is your brother-in-law Greg a Weetabix person <laughs> this would complete the circle I feel like we've gone off piste here <laughs> <laughs> I, I have hope I have hope for this country I mean you speak about Britain and the shithole it's in I mean I have one leg in Sri Lanka one leg here and um, mm. yeah my leg here has a bit more stability than the other has in Sri Lanka. Well, there's a lot of 2023 to go. So maybe by next month or next week, I'll have suddenly returned to my more cynical self. That's the man I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's back, people. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's the 10th of January today, and uh, it's the day when we are recording this segment, and the book Spare by Prince Harry has been released. It's a quite an unprecedented um, spate of revelations, so interviews, TV shows, or at least one interview, a TV show, and now a book, and lots of discussions by people on the net, particularly Twitter where I am. And then I think it was The Guardian that had the book before the release and had discussed events about it. It's interesting in the sense that people seem to be supporting a couple who are just not very happy that they can't take part in the palace life that they wanted. And that seems to be the point of contention. But since we have Nick on the show, I could ask Nick whether he gets asked about this and what he thinks about it. Do you have to? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm in a weird situation because anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows my feelings about the royal family. And in fact, I mean, if we if we peek behind the curtain of how decades from home is made, uh, we've we've already had a few discussions about whether this was actually relevant to a podcast about Germany. But I, even I was surprised with how much Prince Harry was in the the media in Germany, how much it's been covered as a story, which probably tells you how big the story actually is, and how how much it it transcends just the internal bitter wranglings of of a particular british family no matter how famous to the point that i mean prince harry was trending on on german twitter over sunday and has been for most of of the last 48 hours Mm -hmm. so it is it's a big topic yeah i don't know how i feel about it there's a there's a lot of stuff to it there's a lot of aspects to it Mm -hmm. a lot of information that we've not we've maybe suspected but didn't think about that much you don't strike me dilly as a royal follower but you seem quite interested in this topic. I'm not a monarchist by any means, but I do no, I didn't think talk so. about this. <laughs> I talk about this stuff with my mother. She was a Lady Diana fan. I mean, uh, she is a Lady Diana fan. 
So when I'm there, I watch YouTube videos and things with her, and we talk about this stuff. So I mean, I've I've kind of like followed it, but as you said, it's getting too much, and much of what I know is not things I've actively sought out to educate myself on. It's I, I mean, this is a lot of laundry washing in public. I don't think we've had anything that comes close before. I guess to a certain extent, the last time was probably Princess Diana. You know, and that that there is a a correlation there. And in fact, I think there was a headline I read in Süddeutsche Zeitung, or maybe it was Zeit, I, I can't remember, that was basically saying uh, like Harry is is like his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sort of the, the rebel almost, the sort of one who uh, who 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 is willing to say the things that others won't. And he has said a lot of very careful things that have been twisted, I think, in the media mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Um, I think you've got to be careful of falling into a, a binary of, of I'm on Harry and Meghan's side or yeah. I'm on William and, and Catherine's side. I don't think anyone's on King Charles and Camilla's side. <laughs> but, um, but there does seem to be these two camps. And in Britain, the, it's, it's very much like, how dare you criticise the royals? Or, yeah. yeah, Harry's saying everything we knew about the royals. And it feels like, you know what? There's so much fucking wrong in Britain at the moment. I don't think us spending all our attention and, yeah. and and a lot of attention is on on this, especially in the the tabloid press, which is the most read press in Britain. There's a lot of focus on that and not actually on the larger problems that we're facing. I mean, if you want to just have a an inkling of the problems that Britain's having at the moment, type in strike schedule UK 2023 BBC, and then mm-hmm. just look at the calendar of strikes that are going to occur only this in, in January, right? There's yeah. a lot of other problems going on. So I do feel it's a distraction, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like the headline that's, that's being ignored I, rather yeah. intentionally, I, I feel at least by the British press, but is it also ignored by the German media as they look through this salacious details is what he's essentially said is, we have a, a family in which we choose our head of state. The head of state in any country is vitally important. Mm-hmm. And what it turns out is they are so in debt to the media or in hock to the media or in so in need of the media support that they will literally throw members of their own family under the bus in order to feather their own nest. Now, a lot of fingers have been pointed at William and a lot of fingers have been pointed at Camilla mm-hmm. and that they have um, been using... The fact that Harry is, as he's the title suggests, the spare. Mm. And that's apparently something that even his father had said on the day of his birth. On the day of was, his birth, yeah. He had, they had a spare. Yeah. Um, and so that's what it says to me is that the real power brokers in the country, the most powerful entity in the country, isn't the, the actual heads of state, isn't actually the politicians. It's as ever the fucking media. And no one's going, how horrendous is it that we've got to a situation where... It's better for one member of or one group within one family to stab their family members in the back for their own benefit, for mm-hmm. their own survival in a lot of ways. Um, that for me is the revelation, not the salacious gossipy bit. Mm. But like we are really seeing who's in charge here. And it yeah. isn't the monarch. It is Rupert Murdoch. It is a Viscount Rothmere who owns the Daily Mail. Um, it's the likes of those people who have the power to make literally the royal family dance for their entertainment. That's a very interesting take, to have the royal family as the entity that's dancing around to someone else's mm-hmm. tune. 
makes them look very powerless and they don't look like that often. No? Which sort of begs the question, what the fuck is the point of the royal family if that's the end result? If that's our head of state? Like imagine Walter Steinmeier. Imagine Walter Steinmeier acting the same way, chucking his relatives under the bus so that the media won't say anything like bad about him. You just can't see it, can you? You just can't. You can't see it in the same in the same light. No. And the head of state, they, they shouldn't be in that position, regardless of, of whether they're a monarch or a, or a president. They should not be in that position. And yet, that's the true Britain for me. And ultimately, this story says to me is how deeply bollocksed the UK is, and how do you how do you extricate or fix a situation? where the media controls all the narrative, refuses to do its job of informing the populace so that they can make informed decisions and instead does stuff like this. I don't know how you fix that and I don't think it ever will be fixed, potentially. If this is the end result, yeah. if this is what happens, then how do you fix it? The media literally killed his mother. I'm not a fan of the royal family, but that is what's happened and then this happens and you're like, come on, man. Like, well, when does this end? When does this stop happening? There's the obviously the racial the racial mm. element the racial discussion that we've had before about the kind of blinkers that are on the royal family mm. and even Prince Harry said that what happened in the palace and that that incident that happened in the palace that we discussed a few weeks ago yeah. was was unconscious bias not racism I think is what he described it as I know and it's like he's throwing mm. his supporters under the bus because if they thought that the two were championing racism well now they don't have that. Or, or to rather championing anti-racism, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, if if people thought that they were talking about the racism that they encountered, they're not for that either. And people ask mm. Prince Harry if he's, whether he believes in the monarchy, and he says, yes, he doesn't even pause. So mm. for me, it's more a case of like palace walls crumbling in on the people, no matter where they live, they mm -hmm. are still within those walls. So, were you surprised by how much of that was in the German media? I mean, I know they like to put the faces of royals on on those kind of shitty supermarket magazines, right? Yeah, yeah. But like to see the amount of stuff that's been written in Faz, Zeit, uh, Deutsche Radio Funk had a thing about it today. Um, there's been stuff all over Süddeutsche Zeitung. Yeah. Uh, there was even stuff, I think I read the local newspaper about Augsburg Allgemein and they had a fucking <laughs> article on it as well. And I'm like, what does the Augsburg Allgemein have to say about Prince Harry? It turns out not a lot, but it's still in there. And yeah. I was surprised by that. I was in the doctor's office and like it had the, uh, the we had the latest magazines in a rack in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, like, you know, on the cover you have Prince Harry, Meghan and uh, Kate Middleton. Of course. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can't escape. And like people talk about uh, much of what I know about X um, has not been voluntary. And, you know, you think mm -hmm. of Elon mm -hmm. Musk, you think of uh, Prince Harry and the whole saga. Or what the, you're like, there's this sort of um, massive narrative going on that you would rather ignore, but you end up knowing more about it because everyone... I can't ignore it. Yeah. It's there. And uh, I mean, these are big wheels that are turning, mm. apparently. Yeah, I mean, I do find a lot of people want to talk to me about it, especially when I started like yesterday. <laughs> I did two classes on British cultural studies and I had to mention mm -hmm. it. Um, there was two stories and one of them was the Prince Harry story that had been doing the rounds mm -hmm. over Christmas. So you couldn't ignore it. 
But then and this mm. happens to me so often and it makes me laugh, right? People come up to me, students, people I know, friends, family, and they'll start a conversation about the royal family. And then they'll say something like, I'm really sorry, but I don't really like the royal family. And I'm like, who are you apolog- are you apologizing to me? <laughs> like, I feel insulted that you think I do like the royal family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, why are you th- why what, what do you think all British people blindly like the royal family? I do think there's that perception that, oh, I'm sorry, I don't really like the royal family. And I'm like, who are you saying sorry to? I don't it's not me, surely. But um I do find those conversations happen quite often. Mm-hmm. Do they annoy you? Or are you used to it now? This conversation's fine, right? Because mm. we've talked about why we're having it. Mm. But like to be having a conversation and then someone change the topic and go, oh, so what do you think about Prince Harry? And then I'm like, how many caveats am I going to have to give? This answer is going to be much longer than you want because I'm going to have to first tell you how much I dislike the royal family mm. and then we can talk about the royal family. But I mean, if I was in Britain, I'd just be like, I don't really give a fuck. And people would be like, yeah, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fine. You can't really do that at work. But I feel slightly insulted that people think I have or want to talk about it. I think I got into the uh, like uh, really reading the news and uh, about the royal family mostly because I started teaching English and some of my teenage mm. students it's like the current news that they know uh, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is prince harry who is prince william etc and mm. when the queen died I could use the news articles and have students read them for lessons and talk about them present mm. about them etc and it kind of I mean it's current news so i'm not taking anything dated and it's something that the students are interested in anyway but i mean mm. obviously it's in that kind of sense and maybe when i talk to my mother but it's poison chalice though poison chalice like yeah. really is yeah you start like teaching a little bit about it yeah and then you suddenly realize you know way too much about it you and do. i know way too much about this topic yeah. but like i don't want to know i don't none of this information i want to have no but I, like you, I will have students who will ask me about it. Yeah. And uh, I do teach British cultural studies. Yeah. So it would be a bit ridiculous for me not. And I literally finished the before the Christmas break talking about the structures of government and the mm. monarchy. Mm. And so I was like, oh, f- it's a really good end <laughs> to the start of the next class. It's so obvious, this transition point. So I felt like I had to mention it. But yeah. um, I, I didn't dwell on it particularly. Yeah. We'll see how exhausted people are with the Prince Harry narrative by next week. I suspect they will be, but, you know, people like gossip, right? People do like gossip. Yeah. Let's see. This brings us to the end of the show. We are going to get our hands on spare and learn all the sordid details about the royal family. Do we have to, Nick? Yes, we do. It's for my class. I promise. <laughs> I'm only researching it for my class. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some Spotify stars our way as well, please. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to help keep this little boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Tschüss.